I have the pleasure to welcome in our special series of podcasts, Dr. Christy Reich, the director of the Estonian Foreign Policy Institute. Thank you, Dr. Reich, for this discussion. Thank you for the invitation. Well, inevitably, my first question will be about the war in Ukraine and how threatened you feel now in Estonia, in the Baltics, by Russian aggression. Well, um, in the Baltic states, we, of course, do see the war in Ukraine as an existential matter also for our future security, not just for Ukraine. Uh, because Russia is not only aiming to include Ukraine in its uh, sphere of influence, but it is also aiming to change uh, the whole European security order. Uh, this was clearly expressed in the demands that uh, Russia presented uh, last uh, December. So Ukraine is just uh, one part of uh, Russia's uh, strategic goals. And um, it is very much likely that if Russia uh, were uh, successful in, in Ukraine, even partially, then it would be encouraged uh, to move uh, further uh, with its uh, broader ambitions uh, in, in uh, Europe. And, and uh, basically we see Russia being at the moment a revisionist uh, imperialist uh, power um, that is not, not easily stopped. And uh, it's not that we would be in the Baltic states concerned about an imminent uh, attack against us. So this is actually not likely at all, because at this very moment, uh, Russia has very much concentrated its uh, forces in Ukraine. But um, in one or two years time, the situation can already be quite different. And, and it will depend a lot on, on um, how uh, the war in Ukraine will, will turn out, what the outcome will be. We saw, and I want your opinion on that, that NATO, the West in general, the EU and the United States did not fully understand Vladimir Putin. Um, Germany also. Um, what do you think was the basic thing that they missed in what Putin wanted to do in the region? Well, I believe for many years or, or even decades, um, there was quite a lot of uh, wishful thinking on Russia in Europe. And um, here the view of the Baltic states has always been somewhat different uh, in comparison to uh, Western European countries. Um, even in the 1990s, after the end of the Cold War and collapse of the Soviet Union, um, when Russia was uh, rather liberal and pursuing good relations with the West, even then we could see and experience uh, that Russia was holding on to the idea that it was entitled to, to have a privileged role or some kind of sphere of influence, at least in the post-Soviet uh, space. And this uh, was expressed, uh, for example, by the creation of uh, so-called separatist uh, republics in, in many of the post-Soviet states. And actually Russia also tried uh, to create such a separatist uh, statelet uh, in Estonia, in, in northeastern uh, part of Estonia, 
in the first half of 1990s, but it uh, failed to do so because the Estonian government uh, managed to, to block uh, these attempts. Um, but then uh, moving, moving on, I mean, in 2000, uh, Putin came to power. And I think from that year, we can actually observe uh, a gradual strengthening of uh, Russia's aspiration to restore its great power status and also to uh, regain uh, its influence in uh, what Russia calls the near abroad. Um, at the same time, another parallel trend which is related uh, to, to the kind of uh, foreign policy trend is, is the domestic trend of uh, uh, authoritarianism, uh, step by step uh, growing and, and uh, to the extent that democracy had been established in, in Russia in the 1990s, uh, it started to uh, weaken from, from the year 2000 onwards. And it was a steady, steady process until today where we are now uh, uh, now where we can define Russia a, a totalitarian, not just an authoritarian state. So um, in the Western countries, uh, there was for a long time somehow reluctance to, <clears throat> to take these Russian aspirations seriously. And, and even in, in 2007 at the Munich Security Conference where President Putin very clearly expressed his agenda, and then 2008, uh, he, he attacked Georgia, used actually military force against the neighboring country. So the Western reaction was to have more engagement, more cooperation, more dialogue, because this was uh, seen in the West as a way to kind of uh, tame uh, the Russian imperialist instincts and, and to, to um, improve uh, security in, in Europe. Uh, whereas uh, from the Russian perspective, Russia was very determined to, to pursue its, its uh, goals and it was uh, deeply unsatisfied with the way the European security architecture had been uh, shaping during the post-Cold War era and, and uh, the Western signals of engagement uh, were read by Russia as signs of weakness and signs that the West is not going to stop Russia from uh, pursuing its uh, goals uh, in the neighboring countries. Well, Dr. Reich, do you see now a change in the EU's and NATO's strategy following the invasion of uh, Ukraine? Because we see that they, there are two approaches uh, to the war. Uh, the one is more uh, the approach of the United States, that Ukraine is fighting uh, the, the war for all of us. Uh, and the other approach is more the G Germans approach, that uh, we, we must see a way out of the war and not maybe humiliate Vladimir Putin and see if we can come. And Emmanuel Macron has, has expressed that, that opinion. And we must have a compromise with Vladimir Putin. Um, so do you see that the West is united in the strategy now against Russia? Well, the immediate uh, uh, reaction to Russia's invasion of Ukraine on 24th of February was surprisingly strong and uh, united. Um, it was a major 
shock, of course, for, for Western countries that uh, Russia did actually launch a major invasion. And, and uh, so the reaction involved many actually surprising elements uh, when it comes to the very rapid decisions on very extensive unprecedented sanctions, also uh, the decision to move towards you know, getting rid of the Russian uh, fossil fuels in Europe, and uh, the decisions taken by many countries to give uh, military assistance uh, to Ukraine. Uh, in in uh, some cases, like Germany, this was uh, a very big shift in, in uh, the German approach. But today, uh, as we are more than three months into the war, um, the unity is more difficult to maintain. And there are indeed, as you refer to, different uh, positions among the Western countries. What uh, you um, named as uh, the US perspective, actually, I would say it's, it's a very strong perspective of um, uh, the Eastern member states of the EU and NATO countries neighboring Russia who, who um, uh, see the war in Ukraine as, as having very direct implications for their own security. And, and so uh, in the Baltic states and Poland, but uh, even I would say today quite strongly in, in Finland and Sweden, the understanding is that uh, we need to do everything we can to support Ukraine and help Ukraine win uh, this war and push back the Russian aggression. And from our point of view, a sustainable peace can be achieved only if Russia is clearly defeated. And, and uh, there have been discussions uh, among experts about what exactly a Russian defeat would mean but on a very general level, I would say, when we talk about a strategic defeat, uh, this means that Russia would be forced, forced to abandon its uh, revisionist and imperialist uh, agenda in vis-a-vis uh, -vis neighboring countries. And it would be uh, compelled to respect uh, the sovereignty of its uh, neighboring countries and also their territorial integrity. So these are very big principled issues for the European security order that uh, are particularly, of course, relevant for, for Russia's neighboring countries. Uh, but indeed, in, in uh, large European countries, France and Germany, uh, the tone and the approach has been somewhat different. Um, we have seen a lot of um, statements saying that uh, um, we should not weaken Russia too much, and we should not uh, humiliate uh, Russia, and we should not provoke Russia too much. Um, and this, from, from my perspective, it's, it's a wrong and dangerous approach. Uh, because one thing we should have learned from European history and from the Second World War is that um, if you make concessions, to an aggressor, then the risk is that the appetite of the aggressor will only grow. And we have to acknowledge that uh, the goals of Russia and, and uh, on, the, on the other side, 
Western countries and Ukraine in this war are in, in conflict, they are incompatible. Um, unfortunately, I don't see a space for compromise with Putin's regime when it uh, comes to the basic principles of European security order. Russia really has its own revisionist agenda and, and wants to wants to change uh, the, the core principles of that order and get back to a Europe uh, of uh, spheres of influence defined by great powers uh, by force. Um, so um, that's why um, we keep uh, emphasizing in, in, in the Eastern member states of both the EU and NATO that uh, uh, we need to, to further strengthen the military support to, to Ukraine and to help Ukraine to, to win uh, this uh, war because uh, this is so, so important for European security at large. And, and the idea to avoid provoking Russia sounds very odd uh, to, to us and we are not afraid of uh, Russia's weakness. Our historical experience is that Russia has been threatening and aggressive towards its neighbors um, at moments where it has been relatively strong and where it has seen weakness um, on, on the side of uh, the neighboring countries or, or the West. So this was the Russian assessment uh, when it tried, uh, decided to, to invade Ukraine. It, it did not expect actually Ukraine to respond so, so strongly and it did not expect the Western countries to respond uh, so strongly. But when Russia sees um, strength um, on, on the side of the counterpart, uh, for example, uh, NATO uh, is, is from the Russian viewpoint um, much stronger militarily than, than Russia and Russia has a very high threshold to, to um, kind of test um, test the resolve of uh, NATO because it knows it cannot win a military conflict with NATO. So um, in, in, in this case, uh, Russia does not, uh, uh, does not uh, pose so much of a threat provided that NATO maintains a credible uh, defense uh, on its uh, eastern flank. Dr. Reich, do you believe that small states like Estonia, like Greece, have limitations? Uh, you have written recently that knowing how to play the game is key to the ability of small states to punch above their weight. Can you explain a little bit of that? Because I found it very, very interesting when I read it. Uh, yes, in, in Estonia, of course, uh, we think a lot about how a small state can use its uh, limited uh, resources and limited weight in international relations so that it can actually uh, promote uh, issues that are most important uh, for, for our security and, and uh, our interests more broadly. And um, in the case of Estonia, the, the choice has been to integrate as closely as possible with the Western organizations, above all the EU and NATO, and then try to actively promote our priorities in these organizations. 
And uh, what does it mean to, you know, to, to kind of know how to play the game? I mean, uh, there are many aspects to it. One is that uh, you need to have an understanding and solidarity vis-a-vis -vis other member states or your allies. Um, we have different, uh, different priorities uh, within both the EU and uh, NATO. Uh, so, for example, Estonia has made an effort to uh, be active, at least to some extent, also in the southern neighborhood, uh, so that it is kind of more convincing to argue that we expect uh, solidarity from from the southern European countries vis-à-vis uh, -vis our concerns in the east. So, for example, Estonia has been taking part in, in operations in, in Mali, and it has tried to develop uh, its its policies in in the in the southern uh, neighborhood in different. Uh, ways. So that is part of uh, part of playing uh, the game and, and uh, the core interest uh, for Estonia as a small country next to a difficult neighbor is, is always very much uh, focused on, on um, the potentially existential threats we are facing from, from Russia and how to manage uh, that and minimize the, the, the concern. Um, but then, uh, in order to pursue uh, our views on this issue, uh, we need to really be constructive uh, member states uh, in, in uh, different uh, issues that are important for, for the organizations as a whole and for other member states. Greece is also a country that um, has a difficult neighbor, to put it mildly, uh, Turkey. Uh, how do you perceive uh, uh, in the Baltics and in uh, uh, your foundation, the um, new think tank, uh, the revisionism of, uh, of President Erdogan? Uh, many analysts say that uh, he's or he wants to be like Vladimir Putin. Well, I'm not an expert of uh, Turkey, so, so I don't want to comment on, on what exactly is the agenda or goals of President Erdogan. Um, but of course, we, we see that uh, in the NATO context, um, Turkey is um, sometimes a difficult ally. Right now, there is the issue of uh, Finland's and Sweden's uh, application to join NATO, where, where Turkey is, is pursuing a really counterproductive uh, negotiating tactic and then trying to put uh, obstacles on the way of the two countries, which kind of raises questions about Turkey's commitment to the open door policy of NATO and, and also its um, commitment to kind of accept uh, or share the views that uh, in, in NATO generally are shared by other allies, uh, namely in this case, the assessment of the alliance is that uh, membership of Finland and Sweden would be welcome and would strengthen the alliance. And it is also in NATO's interest to, to um, kind of go through this process um, quickly in the current uh, volatile security environment. Uh, so this is the kind of uh, recent uh, concrete indication of uh, what kind of issues uh, we have uh, with Turkey, but on the other hand, 
the sense in this region and also talking to Finnish colleagues is that in the end uh, we will manage to find a, a solution and, and uh, Turkey is not expected to actually block eventually uh, NATO enlargement in the north. So, Dr. Reich, I know that's my last question, that it's very, very difficult to make predictions about uh, uh, the war in Ukraine, but um, if you could, do you see the war ending soon or not? Well, as you say, yes, it's very difficult to make predictions. Um, unfortunately, today we don't really have an end or a settlement uh, in sight uh, yet. Um, we've seen just in recent days uh, new decisions by a number of Western countries to uh, increase military aid to Ukraine. Um, and the Ukrainians are very determined to continue uh, their fight for freedom and for their existence. Uh, so uh, I would expect uh, during the next months uh, we will see further uh, difficult, uh, difficult fighting on the battleground with the aim to improve the Ukrainian positions uh, before we can get to a situation where uh, even a ceasefire uh, could be in Ukraine's interest and, and some kind of uh, process to, to negotiate the settlement could be started. But I think it will be a long process even, even when at some point uh, the current level of intensity in, in the fighting will have to uh, be reduced. Uh, both Russia and, and Ukraine uh, will soon have exhausted their ability to continue, uh, continue this, this uh, intensity of warfare. Uh, but this does not mean that uh, the conflict will, will end. Um, as I said before, uh, Russia is very determined uh, to pursue its uh, strategic goals in Ukraine and beyond. And at the same time, Ukraine is very determined to defend itself. Um, so so uh, it will be, I'm afraid, a prolonged uh, process where uh, a lot is at uh, stake for Russia and Ukraine and also uh, the Western countries. Dr. Reich, thank you very much for having this discussion. Thank you so much. Thank you.